0: Pop yourself a beer or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he
1: needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him what you got He said I'll start up with some talking And some movie clips and popcorn fighting Fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching And some blind unboxing, Full month horror movie marathon Sometimes I let the box come on Contests and the push you know it's all about games I said slow down let's just start with the name It's The Nerds
0: with
1: the other Jason. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host Jason. Today we have a bunch of listener call-ins reference our AD&D First Edition rating system episode. So that's the emphasis of the episode. There'll be a handful of other things in here. I'm going to compare the Index Card RPG Master Edition with the Index Card RPG Master Edition Collector's Edition, and I have an unboxing. But it's pretty much mainly about the rating systems. So if that interests you, great. If not, this is being released a day early because on Friday, I have a bonus episode where Minion, also known as Rob from Confessions We Timorous Bushi, joins me to talk about the 1974 Italian film Street Law. This is a vigilante movie, somewhat, it, it was inspired by the success of Death, Death Wish, but not necessarily a copy of Death Wish. It's been accused of being right-wing and fascist, and we're going to examine this movie and see if those accusations are true. So, Look for that on Friday, and then we'll be back to regular RPG content. That next episode will probably be released on Sunday. So that's what you have coming up. But today, it's almost all about the ratings. Before we get to those ratings, I want to remind you about the February contest. You have until midnight Eastern Time on the 20th of February to call in your entry. Let me know your favorite three RPG systems and a little bit of why they're your favorite three RPG systems. That's all you have to do. You could also you can leave a message on Anchor. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. If you attach an audio file, I'll play it on the air, and make you famous. You can also reach out to me on a variety of different Discords. If you send me something, a text message or an email, I'll read it on the air. If you send me an audio file, I'll play it on the air. But send me those entries. I'm gonna take all the all the entries. Draw a random winner out of a hat, that person will get a $20 drive through RPG gift card plus $20 to a charity of their choice, or you can get $40 to the charity of your choice, or if you're really slick, you can say your charity of your choice is your gaming fund to get $40, I guess, for a drive through RPG. I don't know. But either way, send me those entries. I'll play all the entries on the air and, like I say, the winners picked randomly, but I'm curious what everybody's favorite RPGs are, so get those entries in. Now, on with the show. So let's open up with a call from M.W. from the Worlds of M.W. Lewis podcast. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone?
0: Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well maybe it's your auntie or dripped by your spouse, but the operator scream is coming from inside the house. Hey Jason, it's MW from the worlds of MW Lewis here. Boy, this whole thing about using the ratings uh, is causing quite a stir, which is not surprising because it caused quite a stir on uh, the, uh, the Dragon's Foot forum as well. And people are really reacting to it. And just one thing to cl- clarify, I'm not comparing the rating system to an actual job review. I'm comparing its utility I'm saying the utility of the rating system is is equivalent to the utility of doing a job review at your company. So I'm not saying they're the same thing actually. Um, And I'm not saying I enjoy giving the job reviews, I I do them. People have to get reviews and you need to be reviewed, I didn't say it's fun. But the rating in D&D is really different if used right and done properly and with skill the rating can really make the game better, just, just as job reviews in a work environment can make the work environment better if they're done right. So I'm comparing their utility, not comparing the two things. And, and no, I don't view the rating as I sit there and review each player. So this brings me to some things said by Eric, who left a, a really long comment about it. And if I were to rate, (laughs) haha, just kidding. If I were to rate Eric's comment, I'm not really rating Eric's comment, and he did not have the benefit, I imagine, to uh, listening to you, Jason, read the rule out of the DMG. He kept saying, and maybe he thought I I inferred that, um, or I implied, that I withhold experience points based on the rating, and that is not it at all. You read the rule exactly how it's written. The rating just factors into the number of weeks required to level up and then the cost, the subsequent cost based on the number of weeks. Um, I award the experience points according to rule. I never withhold experience points based on how people are role playing. Uh, There there are very defined rules on how to award experience points, and I follow those rules. Uh, The rating has nothing to do with the experience point. The rating has to do with the leveling up process. Just to clarify that for Eric and other people's uh, gratification in case they heard Eric's comments and think that you use the rating to award experience points. That's not how you use the rating at all. So you did play clips of me speaking about how I use the rating and I can't remember if uh, you included the part where I mentioned that I very rarely don't Give players the best rating. In fact, I often do give the players just the best rating because I play with very good players. Actually, they're very skilled players and they really want to play their character class correctly. They want to play their alignment correctly, and there's no problem. So there's, there's no problem. So I don't, you know, people are maybe blowing this out of proportion, or maybe there's a lot of DMs listening that frequently dm with new people and i definitely would manage this differently with new people i i not you know i'm pretty skilled at helping people learn games and stuff so i wouldn't be like sitting there blasting people i really think the rating system is most effective when you're playing with an experienced group of people and an experienced group of players well welcome the the feedback and and they you know honestly the group's police themselves too. Uh, my Monday night group, uh, the one guy's really on the other guy uh, because he doesn't feel like he plays his magic user properly. So he and they're, they're experienced players and and they go at it. They, they everyone wants the level of play to be excellent. and no, it's not like a job we're having fun. we're playing a game. we laugh believe it or not, we're laughing, we're drinking all the things you said, Jason. just a bunch of dudes and and a, a wife sitting around playing a game. But there are a time – there's just discrete periods of times where this stuff comes up because people do take the game seriously. Like people respect the game of Dungeons & Dragons. We love playing this game and we respect the game and we respect the words and the books. So it does become important at times. It's not the governing process though uh, o- that overhangs the ga- game. Um, it's just a part of the game. It's a tool. It's just another tool we use.
1: I'm not going to give a lot of commentary this episode. I don't necessarily think it's for the most part needed. I do want to say thank you to MW for calling in, expanding on what he does with his group and what he what he meant. And now we're going to listen to a call from Taylor of the Clerics Wear Ringmail Media Empire, actually, he has a podcast, a blog, a YouTube channel, and he's got strong feelings about this.
2: I am opposed to subjective experience. XP for gold doesn't make sense in the real world, but it's not supposed to. It's supposed to provide a motivator. It's an incentive for the players to search for treasure, thereby promoting a gameplay loop and an expected experience. That is, experience for the players, not experience for the points. Advancement therefrom in a class and level system is representative of the pan experience improving that character's capacity. If a player wants to only get better at the things they do, skill-based systems exist. But the purpose of class and level is to abstract all of that and focus on the gameplay rather than the character build, one of the central tenets of OSR gaming. I am not a fan of training. Using training hoses the abstraction. The purpose of training is a gold sink in a time sink. First, because AD&D does not concern itself so much with domains and the establishment of strongholds, what are these characters going to do with the literal tons of gold in their hordes? Oh, let's have a way to forcibly flush it down the toilet. Time sink. Why is that archmage 21 years old? that doesn't fit my fiction. I need to find a way to kind of push that away. Daniel makes a very good presentation, uh, which, though I don't like training, his perspective on training has made me consider it and respond in a civil fashion.
1: M.W. actually called in talking about training, so I'm going to play his call as an answer to Taylor's concern there. Although, I think training provides some interesting opportunities. Like Daniel Norton from the Bandits Keep Media Empire said in the previous podcast that Taylor referred to, training gives you the idea that you have all these different guilds in the world, and it builds the world, it builds connections, gives you downtime, things you can be doing. So there is some argue for training. But the thing that Taylor mentioned that I'm going to fight back against a little bit, and I don't know if he misspoke or he just isn't used to this because in his most recent episode he talks about domains a little bit over on the clerics wear Ringmail podcast but to say that D first edition doesn't have domain play is just not being familiar with D first edition domain play the idea that when characters hit name level that they're gonna build a keep and attract followers and run fo- you know run armies. That's baked into AD&D. That is a understood part of the game. You, you know, when you look at the classes in AD&D, and, and you look, you know, you open your player's handbook up, and and you go to each character class, it tells you how many followers you get when you hit name level. I, I mean, it it it's part of the system, right? So we look at the cleric, and, and we find out that. Upon reaching ninth level, High priest or High Priestess, cleric has an option of constructing a religious stronghold. This fortified place must contain a large temple, cathedral, or church of not less than 2,500 square feet on the ground floor. It can be a castle, monastery, or abbey, or the like. It must be dedicated to the cleric's deity or deities. Cost of construction can only be one-half of the usual for such place because of religious help. If the cleric clears the surrounding territory and humans, Dwell in this area it will be a monthly revenue of nine silver pieces per inhabitant from trade, taxation, and tithes. And then before that, it says when the character achieves eighth level, patriarch or matriarch, he or she automatically attracts followers. The cleric establishes a place of worship. And yada yada. Anyway, and it says that for every single, every one of these classes, y- you know, it's possible for a magic user twelfth or higher level to construct a stronghold, clear the countryside, yada yada. You know, all these things. A thief of tenth level or greater may use a small castle-type building to set up a headquarters for a gang of thieves, and he or she will accordingly attract four to twenty-four other thieves. This will bring emd local thieves guild. I mean, all that's domain level stuff, and there's a lot of pages in the DMG. I'm not going to count them, where they talk about domain level stuff. So I'm not sure if it's just Taylor. Now Taylor has said he prefers BX, and he, or at least you know the basic. D&D versions, whether it's BX or Beckme or OSE or whatever. But he prefers that as opposed to AD&D. But maybe he's just not familiar with AD&D. I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Taylor. But AD&D very much supports domain play. In fact, it assumes it. It it, it assumes you're going to do domain play. Your characters are built. that All the character classes are designed for that. So I'm not sure where the idea that it doesn't support domain play comes from. Now, as far as training goes, I'm going to let MW expand on that.
0: So it's MW again. So Jason, one thing that came up in all this great discussion about the ratings, and I'm not going to talk about the ratings anymore, but it's it's Daniel Norton brought it up about the training, and that's what levels you up. And, you know, that's one thing I think people miss about AD&D 1A. And I have to admit, it's something I didn't pay attention to when I first started playing because it didn't make sense to me until much later in life. But if you think about it, AD&D is totally predicated on this idea of the training. It's like almost like the guild. Everyone's in some kind of guild. A fighter guild. We don't call it that in the game, of course. But the magic user guild. And you get training and you level... It's very classic of a medieval society or Roman army. Everyone had a rank. You get a rank and you get a rank by training and advancement. And that's what they, ADD is predicated on. And I'll continue with my comment in a second. I don't know how many players... When it comes to this training, I'm saying it's predicated on this idea, like it's almost like a guild system for each of the classes. And a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people who play RPGs think about this when they play A, D, and D. But if you think about it, at the very first rank, you have a, a title. And each level you're awarded a new title. So that's part of it. It's all part of this idea of this training. And and I, I'm surprised so many people are are speaking out against this concept and they don't like it. Because I mean, Harry Potter is wildly popular. Other kinds of books that involve schooling and training. Um, people love that stuff, right? Like, people love those kinds. Of, and that's exactly what AD&D is. Only we start the game after the school part, and where it's post-graduation, but you have to go back for professional training, more professional development, just like you're in a guild, basically. And I like that part of the game, and I, the more I play it, So what I was saying about the training is the more I play AD&D and the older I get and the more I listen to history podcasts and really dig deep into Roman history, Byzantine history, it makes more and more sense to me that Gary, uh, coming from his military game background, his war game background, armies had ranks, you rose up through the levels based on your accomplishments, i.e. your training your, uh, or your use of your skills, and then training, and then you achieve new ranks, this fits right in with wargaming. And quite frankly, it fits in with, we don't have that as much in our societies anymore. We don't have serfdom, we don't have landed gentry, we don't have rank systems, we don't have the, uh, I forget what it was called in Rome, but the, the levels of, of service to the Roman state, we don't have that stuff. And it's hard, I guess that's why people don't like it today. But we don't have that kind of stuff today. We don't we don't walk around the world thinking about people's ranks or status and how did you achieve that rank or status. Um, if you're in a guild, did you train? Did you become a master uh, cobbler because you trained and you you made a lot of shoes and you're really good at it? We just don't think that way anymore. We're all professionals and we sit around in offices and we don't want to insult people and we don't want to think about that. So we it's just a different world we're in. I, I find the more I delve into the DMG and use, I try to pull out more and more of those rules that maybe I hand-waved in the past or ignored in the past. The more I use them, I'm being more and more fulfilled in playing AD&D one e And on my podcast, I'm going to read a leveling up message I put on Discord. And you'll see exactly how I write their experience points and their level. I give the rating and everything. And my players don't complain ever.
1: We'll watch for that over in your show, MW. But until then, let's let Taylor hop back in here.
2: On the subject of player rating, screw player rating. Why does the DM know my character better than I do? And screw course correction for my role playing. Is my character and their personality being assigned? Are literally all Irishmen drunks? No? Then why should all hobbits be good? Case in point... Sackville Bagginses if a player is out of touch with the table's play style I agree with MW's approach to reference his call kick them kick them because they're not going to have fun if you force them to play your way and you're not going to have fun if they're bucking what your table wants I must have missed an episode somewhere in here because listening to the subject material I felt a strong strong need to call in Thank you for your patience with me, and I do apologize. I guess, in conclusion, this is why I don't play AD&D. Delvon, my man, Delvon.
1: Taylor, if nothing else, this series on AD&D that I'm doing on my podcast shows us that AD&D is not a game for everybody. And if there are things in AD&D that really bug you and you, you don't want to play with then of course you have the option, if you're running the game, of running the game and leaving those things out. Or you can just find another game that fits better. Like in your case, the various basic D&D versions seem to fit better, which is great. And like with Joe, who's our next caller is going to be Joe Richter of Hindsightless, who's also going to talk about some of the similar issues. Pathfinder is a better fit for him, which is great. So if ADD and d raises your hackles, don't play it. And, and that's okay. No, nobody's going to think you're any worse of you for that. But AD&D is built around certain conceptions, and those are the kind of conceits we need to accept if we're going to play that game. And so I'm going to play Joe's Call, and then MW is going to hop in and talk about why it is important to play classes a certain way in Advanced Dungeons Dragons, although other games, of course, will be different
3: yo dude so i just got finished listening to everybody's call-ins about the uh rating system and first edition ad and d awesome calls yeah so (laughs) i i had to go back and listen to you read the section again uh so one it specifically says that you are supposed to do that at the end of the adventures not throughout so you know you can do whatever you want but that's what the rules say do it at the end so if you're following the rules follow all of the rules, I don't know. And it's also not just about if, like for the thief, for example, it's not just about the thief just using their thief abilities. So it says if a thief boldly participates in upfront battle, they get a poor review. It's got nothing to do with if they're using their thief abilities. They could be using all their thief abilities all the time, but also going in frontline combat. And that's viewed as a negative. And that's pretty much my whole beef with the rating systems. So, for example, Jason, you, Jason, couldn't play Randor Savage Fist the way you're playing him in AD&D First Edition. I mean, you could. You just wouldn't advance in levels. I would give you, according to that rating system, I would give you a poor rating because you're not playing a stereotypical monk. And that's the problem, right? You're actually playing it the way you want to play the character and you're having fun. And I think that's a far superior way to dole out XP. This idea that every every fighter has to be the same. Every thief has to be the same. If I wanted to do that, I would just play a board game, right? Like, I I don't like a game telling me I have to play my character this way. Yeah, man. Characters like Randor rule and we wouldn't have them with that type of rating system. Peace out.
0: So one more thing. Uh, This is MW again. One more thing mentioned during one of the call-ins about the rating system was that it's not really right to tell somebody playing an RPG game that they're playing their character wrong. That they have conceptions of how they want their character to play. And that's not really fair of the DM or even the other players to tell them it's wrong. And by the way, the rating's not about role-playing. I, I hope none of your listeners think I think it's about the role-playing. Uh, I don't rate people, oh, you didn't talk in the third person. You didn't, it has nothing to do with that stuff. Like You didn't act. You gave all your instructions in the third person. No, it's not about that. It's just about, it's it's exactly what you read, Jason. You pick, AD&D 1E is predicated on the players playing those character classes with no variation. A thief shouldn't play like a fighter. A fighter's not a cleric, and so on. And that's very important to AD&D 1E, in my opinion. About playing character classes in Star Wars games, or Lord of the Rings games, or superhero games, or Cthulhu, other RPGs, even other editions or versions of AD&D, I I, I don't know. I don't play any of those. I play 1E AD&D, and once in a while I'll play BASIC. But I know, I do know about other role-playing games. I know a lot about them. And I know it's not that important. If your Spider-Man is actually more like Batman, it doesn't matter for those role-playing games. And for 5e, everybody can do everything. Fighters have magic, magic users can fight. Yeah, I get it. It's all a jumble, or what I would call a muddle of rules and classes, and that's fine. That's those games. 1e does not have that. 1e has clearly defined classes. And you take on that class, you're supposed to play the class. You pick an alignment, you're supposed to play the alignment. And that's the game. Okay, bye.
1: Now, I know my listeners are more sophisticated than to sit here and call what M.W. saying is gatekeeping. Or what I said earlier is gatekeeping. So, I, I don't think anybody listening to the show is going to think that. But it's just the idea, it's con- the conceit of the game. If you don't want to play a game like that. There are so many other games out there. Or you can not play rules as written and and play it how you want, right? But AD&D is much more codified than either OD&D or BASIC or later editions of D&D are. It, It just is. So, you know, I'm not sure what else to say about that, but I don't really disagree with MW that AD&D expects you to play your characters a certain way. Now, does that mean all your fighters are going to look the same? No. You can play a swashbuckling fighter, you could pl- a pirate is a fighter in in D&D. You know, I mean they could also be a thief, but you you know, a gladiator is a fighter, a knight is a fighter. Uh so you have you, you know, your town guard'sman, watchman's a fighter, a brawler you, you know, is a fighter. So you have tons of different ways you could play fighters, but you, you are expected to meet certain genre conventions because AD&D very heavily hits the idea of niche protection which is why you know thieves can do certain things that other people can't because of niche protection and D&D's doing that with the classes or AD&D first edition does that with the classes so it, i i mean it's it's just a feature of the system and we don't have to like it but it's not nobody's saying you couldn't house rule your game to let you play it that way. But at that point now you're not playing rules. that's written a D and D. So it, I mean, it is just what it is, right? It's not necessarily good or bad. It just depends if you want to play it that way. But I did want to address just so nobody thinks that either MW or I are saying you, you shouldn't play A D D and D or, or you're not welcome to play ad and D. We're not saying that at all. You're always welcome at my as long as you're respectful of the other players you're always welcome at my table the key is if we're playing the game rules as written then we're we're going to expect you to accept the conceits of the game and play it that way and you you know so you you've got to play your ranger as somebody that's bloodthirsty that wants to chop up evil humanoids because that's what rangers are in AD&D. That's why elves can't be rangers in the base game because they're not bloodthirsty enough. So that's something you might not have known.
3: Jason, I don't forget Ben's keep calling in to respond to your response, to my response, I think. <laughs> but anyways, uh, yeah, as far as like the... Players rating themselves, I agree with you. If I was just reading it on paper or somebody said to me, I'd be like, oh, people aren't going to be honest or they're going to be too nice. But having played Coriolis for about a year, after each adventure, we I probably should have streamed this part, but I always stopped at first. We would go around the table and sometimes a player would say, well, no, I, I did this thing. And other players, all of them would be like, no, you didn't. I think that the group needs to be friendly, like actually friends and not get offended when somebody else corrects them. And it takes a certain kind of group, I guess, to pull that off. But I didn't find that being a problem. You know, I, I think the people did actually were pretty honest about whether or not they did the things. But I think what worked well in Coriolis was, there were very specific questions. It wasn't like, how well did you play your thief? It was, did you use your thief abilities? So it was a very easy yes or no question. And I think that would work, but not this vague kind of, how did I do?
1: Hey, Daniel. Thank you for those thoughts. I can see that. the only, I haven't done a whole lot of sessions where players have critically evaluated each other, or even themselves, at the end of the session, per se. Now, I have played a number of games, especially with Che Webster, where he'll have players award points to other players at the end of the game for good role play or for fun moments or whatever. And so that's interesting. But you you very well may be right there. Um, for the most part, I kind of prefer games where you're not worried about ratings and and all that. I I think if somebody's not having fun at the table, they they should speak up. If there are problems at the table, definitely should be talked about. And the group should be talking about their group dynamics. You know, that's an ongoing thing. That's not a session zero thing only. It's a ongoing conversation as sessions go. How the group dynamics are going and and what you think of other players, but. Normally, I wouldn't play a game. Well, normally, I you know, my preference is not to be in a game where you're rating players and saying, oh, well, it's going to take you longer to train because you weren't really playing by this archetype. But in AD&D First Edition, that's what you do. And and we're talking about the rules as written here. So that that's where this is coming from. But definitely, I can see that. And I think that's inter- something interesting that Cor- Coriolis does. So thank you for that input. Okay, I want to close out the show with a discussion on real-life job reviews and evaluating your employees and things like that. It's not a long segment, but M.W. does call in, and he's right, because I kind of also joked about it. And and there are serious things that go with this in the workplace, so we are going to talk about that. But before I do that, because I know not everybody cares about that, I am going to give you – I promised you a comparison – of the print products for ICRPG Master Edition and Master Edition Collector's Edition. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to do a quick unboxing that I alluded to in a previous podcast. And then I will go into this thing about performance evaluation. So if you don't care about the real-world workplace, after I do the unboxing, you can hop off. I mean, you can hop off now if you don't care about... ICRPG, which if that's the case, shame on you. But if if you're not interested in hearing me compare two different versions of the print book and you don't care about the unboxing, you can hop off now. I want to thank TJ Drendon for the wonderful music, Ray Otis for the Coffee Cup Clip Art. I want to thank all my callers and I want to thank you, the listener. But if you're interested, I'm gonna compare these books. I'm gonna do an unboxing, and then we're gonna do a really short discussion on why performance evaluations are important in real life. I promised a comparison between the Index RPG Master Edition and Master Edition Collector's Edition. This is just a comparison of the two print books, not the content. I've done a review before of the content, and I recommend you go back in the back archives, check that out. The takeaway is I highly recommend the Master Edition, even if you have the other editions. I think it's well worth your time, even if you get to drive-through and get PDF. But if you want a hard copy, you can get a hard copy through Modiphius either the European or U.S. store, you can get the Master Edition. I don't, the Collector Edition is sold out. But I'm going to compare these two. I also want to mention, there's a new product from Runehammer, available in hardcover, never before available. It's called the Psy Punk Anthology. And you have to get this from Drive RPG. But it collects in a hardcover three games or three books that were previously only available on PDF. Bearcat's, which is basically Red Dawn in space altered state, which is his cyberpunk game and Xeno dead zone, which is kind of like doing aliens, space Hulk, that kind of thing. Great games. All of them. I, I ran a sci- altered state campaign. That was a lot of fun, and, but this lets you get them in a hard copy. So highly recommend you go check that out. I'll put a link to that in the show notes and I'll have a link to the master edition, both drive through RPG and Modiphius in the show notes. So what do you get when you order these? Well, I'm going to look at the Collector's Edition first. So the Collector's Edition is all black, okay? Both these are nine, like nine and a half by six and a half by almost an inch thick. The Master Edition is all black, no writing on the spine or anything. It just has the Runehammer kind of circular symbol on the that he uses for IP, ICRPG, that circular rune thing. It has that on the cover. That's it. It is not, you open it up, the end, co- the end covers or the end pages, I don't know what the right term is, in the collector's edition is a map. It's like an underground, it's like a cross-section underground map of like this dungeon, which is really, really cool. And then we turn and we see the, the GM's Oath. I will let the torrent flow. I will remember everything. I will build a world from their actions. I will be an architect. I will be poetic. I will be energetic. I will lift them up and vanish. I will be a beacon of camaraderie, and I will be a terror terror to behold. I know I butchered that reading it, but it's actually really good. And then we turn, we've got a cover page and, and all. The paper is a little bit glossy for the internal here. We have in here two bookmarks, which is great. There is a black bookmark and a red bookmark. So we have two two separate bookmarks in here. And when we turn to the end of the book, we have, again, the very last page is the GM's Oath, which I I read. And then the end cover is that same cross-section, a dungeon cross-section. So that's the collector's edition. Now, what's the master edition? It's the exact same size. On the front, we have that that symbol again, but then underneath it says "Index Card RPG Master Edition." The it, it's kind of like a faux leatherish kind of cover for the collector's edition, where it's just a regular hardback for the master's edition. On the spine, it does say "Index Card RPG." On the back, there are a couple pictures, and it talks talks about the system, the heroes, the worlds, the guts. The collector's edition came with a a piece of with, with a little printout that goes on the back. That's not part of the book, but when it's wrapped in the shrink wrap, it has the same picture from the back cover that that's on there. So if you saw it on the shelf, you'd know what's in there. When we open it up here, the end pages, I, I know I should look up a term. They're just black. There's not that map. And then and as we keep turning, we don't have the games masters oath. The paper feel, it feels about the same. Um, as far as the bookmarks go, we uh, we have a black and a red bookmark as well. And as we turn to the back, again, we have no – so we don't have the oath again, and we don't have the, the map. So it's not a huge difference between the two, to be honest. You're not really missing out on anything if you buy just the regular Master's Edition instead of the Collector's Edition. And the paper in here is – this is, these are really nice books. They're going to stand up. They're – um you know, the saddle stitch kind of thing, and they're they're not going anywhere. Um, So I I do highly recommend picking this up. I think this Master Edition is all the ICRPG you you need. And there are rules in here to, you know, for superheroes, for different things. So it's not just fantasy. There's sci-fi rules, superhero rules. Um, He has Blood and Snow, which lets you do, like, Caveman Adventures. He has Ghost Mountain, which lets you do Weird West. All that stuff is in here. So it's, it's, it's a really great collection for, for index card RPG. That other book I mentioned from Drive-Thru RPG, the quality won't be as good, unfortunately, because RPG's print qualities I'm not thrilled with. But it would be well worth to buy it to be a companion volume to this. And from I haven't got my copy yet, but my understanding is it size-wise is the same. So it'll fit next to this on the shelf and look right. So that's my comparison between the two. If you got the collector's edition, it is really cool. but the Masters Edition is very awesome. It's very nicely done and deserves a place on your shelf. Okay, I teased this last time. I have a box from Greater Than Games, if you know who they are. If not, you're gonna find out. It is 12.5 by um, 12 and three quarters by six and a half. What is in here? Well, this is a result of a Kickstarter of a great This should be like the final piece to a great game. So let's see here. I've talked in the past, and I think I've done unboxings in the past, for a card game that's now actually jumped into the RPG sphere called Sentinels of the Multiverse. And Sentinels is a... The RPG, I think, is just called Sentinels. Or it might be Sentinels Comics, something like that. But the, the Sentinels of the Multiverse is a card was a card game that is, is a great card game lots of fun there's actually a computer app you can play it on your phone but it's a superhero game and each character has their own deck of cards and then it's got for the villains each villain has their own deck of cards and the the game plays the villain so it's co-op and then there's environmental effects and other effects and it's just really cool and all the characters feel like they're an individual superheroes and it works really well. Well, this, I believe, is like the final edition. Yeah, it's the final rendition. This is the definitive edition. I've got everything ever made for this game, actually. All the editions they have come. But this is the what they're calling the definitive edition. They reprinted it like with everything and put it all together in one set. And that's what this is. And I don't know if there's... A, let's see, this is the definitive edition core game... The foil packs and even a, a sleeves to put in everything. They came with special foil cards for them. So that's what this is. Um, you can look for something on the Multiverse card game. You'll find all kinds of things. But it's a really great card game. I really recommend it. It it's a little bit fiddly as far as tracking some of the effects where you're having to use you know trackers to track effects, kind of like you would have maybe Magic cards or something like that. But it it it's a very good game. It really makes the feel characters feel individual. The villains feel individual. Like I say, they're the different environmental cards and effect cards and just all kinds of things make each each game really great. I, I much prefer this to the legendary Marvel game, although for the legendary card games, Alien and Predator and the Mixing Together works really well. I I've got actually most Legendary games, too. I've even got their James Bond and their X-Files and all that stuff. Uh, but that's what we're talking about today. Today we're talking about Sentinels. Uh, this is for 1 to 5 players, 14 older, 30 to 60 minutes. Check it out. Um, I have not checked out the RPG based on this in this world. They've all got their own unique superheroes in this world. It's not off DC or Marvel. But really cool, and I'm glad I have this. I will eventually break into it. Um, and try the definitive edition, see, you know, take the time to sleeve all the cards and and have it. Maybe one day I'll I'll sell one of these editions, because I have, like, three different editions of this game. (laughs) I probably don't need three editions of the same game, so I guess I need to pick which set of cards I want to use and pick that edition.
0: Anyway, that's the unboxing for this episode. Hey, Jason, MW again, another call in. And I, I just want to address this thing about the job review. Everyone's saying they don't like the job review. And, and even you said it, right? And you said you have to give them. And of course, you probably receive them. And we don't like them. And that's a trope. That's a that's a workplace trope. But let's be honest. Uh, I I worked at places where the job reviews were pretty much meaningless. And it was a little painful to have to go through it. And in my current uh, outfit, uh, the uh the job reviews are good. I find them really beneficial. I've I've worked for some great uh bosses. I've had some great mentor slash bosses in my career, uh the last almost twenty years where I've worked, and they taught me how to give effective job reviews. And this is stuff we we talk about uh, as a uh, the senior staff at my company. We talk about job reviews. We're we're coached on them, and. When, job reviews are really important and can be really important in a, a working environment, so it's kind. Everyone's blasting the job review on the call-ins, but you know, I'm sorry, they're. I like. I think they're effective and useful tools, and this has nothing to do with Dungeons and Dragons. Because again, I was just comparing the utility of the two things, not actually comparing them. Uh, so I think the job review is way more important. I could definitely throw out the rating system in D&D and still enjoy D&D, but I would not throw out the job review at my place of employment. I think it's really effective. I like it. I like to use it. Yeah. Do I like to give it? No. Nah. I hate writing them. I hate having to sit down and write them and do the ratings. It makes my brain hurt. And then I have to sometimes have difficult conversations with people. But, you know, we get through it and we move on. And it's and it's useful. And one more thing about the job review, and I'm kind of kidding, so I'm kind of saying this tongue-in-cheek, so I hope everybody takes it that way. A lot of people just don't have the cojones to sit down and have uncomfortable conversations with other people. I get it. I get it. Uh, But I'm from Philadelphia, number one. So you grew up in a place like Philadelphia. So you got to just have a certain mentality to not be afraid to have uncomfortable conversations with people and i have the benefit of being a youth coach for almost two decades now i've coached youth sports and i'm a parent so when you are doing all those kinds of things and and i grew in grew up in the publishing industry since uh, grad school so when you have editors constantly critiquing you and that's just part of the part of the field that's part of the craft you know you get used to having direct conversations with people and I'm involved in science publishing and I have been for a long time and you have peer review and in peer review um, I don't I don't actually do peer review but uh, you I manage peer review processes and y- you get used to you know critiquing other people is an art form and it, it's part of making people better at what they do and if you view it that way you, you wouldn't be so um, quick to say you hate it or avoid it like the plague or something like that. It's when you're working with people professionally and you respect people and they respect you, uh, being able to provide constructive, uh, crit- criticism is important and can really help everybody, um, with what they do. So that's it.
1: AMW, thank you so much for that call. And you're right. Evaluations and ratings and, Mentoring your employees is incredibly important. The frustrating part, of course, is that evaluation part where you're actually sitting down and having to write it. I am lucky enough that I'm in a position with my workplace where I work alongside my employees. I'm in the same room as them. I see them every day. I I have I have I work in a twenty four seven environment, but I have my schedule set up where I see both my day employees and my night employees and I'm interacting with them on a daily basis. So they get constant feedback whether it's good or bad. And we try to do awards as we can and on the spot awards and things like that. So they they're getting, you know, the feedback continually, but the way where I work, the way it's set up, you, you have your, you have an annual evaluation and then you also have roughly quarterly evaluations that also go with that, right? And they're just, it's just kind of a pain, not the, not the mentoring part, not the working with the employee part, because that's great as you're watching somebody and they're, you're training them and they, then they become a trainer themselves and you see them mentoring new employees and, and all that part is wonderful and great. I love that part of it. The, the part of it is where you're sitting down and you're constantly keeping notes because the last thing you want to do is have to go. At the quarter, or at six months, or, or at a year, heaven forbid, and I have to sit there. What did my employee do last year? Because you have their, you know, their job functions, and you have all these categories, and you have to write down what they did in that category, and you know all these kind of things. It's the evaluation form that's a pain in the butt, and the way it's set up, and the fact that you know you're constantly keeping, effectively a diary, not diary, but, you know, but you're keeping track throughout the year. So it's easier to fill these things out. Even though you're, you're, so it's not that you're not mentoring, you're not evaluating your employees, but it's that evaluation thing a year. It's kind of a pain in the butt just the way it's built it, built in there. But no, it's incredibly important. And even though we all joke about, I hate job ev- you know, I hate performance evaluations and all this, and they're uncomfortable and all this. Ultimately, in my case, it's it's just the paperwork that's kind of a pain. But I love mentoring my employees, and and it is incredibly important, as you say. And I'm glad you're in a workplace where maybe the paperwork part isn't as bad as some other places. So that said, I don't want to hold people up any longer. I'm going to let everybody go. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. And I'll be back on Friday with a movie review with special guest host Minion from Confessions of Wee Timmer Spooshy. So join us then.
2: Who's on the phone, who's on the phone, who's on
1: the phone, who's on the phone? phone? Maybe it's your auntie or a joke put by your
0: spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box, what's in the box, what's in the box?
2: In the boss. Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I will see him dead. Bring on
1: the go, bring on the go,
0: I want some more, bring on the gold well, your butcher is a dustman, and your mole is by the tipper, and I'm assuming that's your partner back there in the woods, chipper. Don't look away.
2: the train wreck!